Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I have in the studio with me the founder of liquor company 8pm, Ash Palmer. How you doing? Yeah, good buddy. Good yeah, yep. Yeah. Let's move that mic a little bit closer. Okay. Like there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So first of all, I just want to know is how you got into this in the first place. So I've been involved in liquor all my adult life. Yep. Um, we bought a liquor store in Huntley in 2004. Okay. Uh, about the time when I was dropping out of uni and uh, parents bought it and um, started working in there and we sort of grew from there. Yep. So sort of year on year, ended up with six bottle stores, including one in Dinsdale, not so far from here. Oh, yeah. I bet you didn't know that. No, I did not know that. Yeah. We sold that three years ago to buy my first house. Um, oh, well, wow. Yeah. And, Congrats. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do in this day and age. Oh, mate. I mean... Yeah, there's so much I could talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we could get into that later. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so it's been a long liquor industry journey and I've been at it for 15 years and it's only the last two years I've focused on the 8 p.m. side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, been around for a very long time and I'm only 35, which I have to remind myself of, um, but on both spectrums, you know, I do have a lot of time ahead of me, but sometimes I feel like I've lost a lot of time already because... Um, a lot of people come out of uni at 25, 26 mm-hmm. with a master's and this and that. But by that time, I was getting geared up to get elected on a board of New Zealand's biggest liquor company. Wow. So there's there's different ways people achieve things. Yeah. Uh, and for me, I feel like I'm on my second innings now with 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. in the last two years, which has been pretty good. Wow. Mm. So what made you get into it in the first place? Why why the liquor industry? So initially, I think it was not up to me. If I remember the timeline, we had a dairy in, again, Dinsdale. Dinsdale was the first suburb in Hamilton. We lived in, or in New Zealand. How, uh, how long ago was this? To, from 2001 to 2004. Oh, yeah. And uh, they had a dairy just up on Tuikaramea Road. Yep. On the way out to the Mormon Church. And okay. um, they had the dairy. I was at uni. They were looking to make a change. Mm-hmm. And I guess kind of thinking, you know, hey, the kids could work in here as well in the liquor store. And they made their move from selling the dairy to the liquor store. And um, me and my brother started working part-time initially. And then slowly, as I dropped out of uni, you know, just being in there full-time and started to take control of everything. So, right. Uh, okay. Because you're originally from India. Yeah, born yeah. and uh, raised in New Delhi. New Delhi. Yeah. Whoa. So okay. I was um, 17 when I moved here. Yeah. Oh, wow. Quite a while ago. Yeah. So, so what made you move here? Um, I don't know why. Like, I mean, my, we had a family here. Yep. You know, mum's side. Uh, mm-hmm. Her sister was here. Her brother was here. Yep. And um, a lot of family in Australia as well. Yep. So I guess it was mum and dad's decision. And we as excited teenagers growing up in New Delhi, we were just happy to go to New Zealand. Yeah. Well, I've been to India. I yeah. haven't been to New Delhi. Right. I know there's quite a bit of pollution and everything oh, going on there at the moment. Yeah, with the fireworks and the... Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, someone told me that they burn, uh, the states next to it burn their uh, the, their farms. Yeah. So and, then, and then it kind of just drifts into New Delhi. So you've got two big states, which are, they kind of say the, the, the fruit basket yep. of India, Haryana and Punjab. Punjab is where my parents are from, mm-hmm. who grow quite a significant amount of wheat and rice. Right. But um, what you've got is a lot of straw, basically, or dry matter left after you're taking the grain away. And a lot of the farming is on a very small scale. You know, a farmer, like a family doing two hectares, three hectares at a time. So yep. basically at the end of the season, they'll just burn the whole thing. But there's just not one farmer. There's hundreds and thousands of them wow. who, who burn this matter and then it just drifts into New Delhi. 
which has its own set of challenges with all the population. And it's an inland city as well. It is. So there's no water and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like we used to get monsoon rain there. So yeah, one of my previous guests, uh, Dr. Vimalkuma, he's from there and he said the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you would hope like hell in November, there's some rain coming, but it's not really, uh, there'll be hardly any rain that time of the year. So there's nothing pushing that, mu- you know, that smog down. So yeah. it just hangs around the air forever, making it very painful. Do you, do you go back much? Uh, I haven't for a long time. So I haven't been back for five years. Right. I made a vow not to go back for 10 years. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> My wife gets quite upset about it, but I made a vow um, that I will not go back for 10 years, but I use the same money to travel other parts of the world. And part of it was my trip I did to Scotland uh, last year in March. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, And that was part fun, part learning for the future. In terms uh, of when you say learning, what do you mean exactly? Going to Scotland to learn about whiskey. So, Ah, I see. Yeah. Good man. Oh, Okay. All right. So, and how did you get into business? How did the whole business aspect of it? Have you always had a business mind? I don't know. Like people joke that us Indians are born with a calculator and a cash register. Well, yes, (laughs) I I kind of agree with that stereotype because I know when I went to India, I felt very, very dumb (laughs) (laughs) because I met so many smart people. Yeah. 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 Just, I don't know. It just seems to come more naturally. I'll give an example. Right. Um, We had the dairy here, right? Yep. And we had any number of people coming into the shop, you know, young kids, older people. And I remember in the early days, like a seven or eight year old kid coming in and actually not knowing if he has the right amount of change. Right. To give an example, he's buying a dollar fifty with the lollies and he's got a two dollar coin. And this eight year old kid does not know if he's got the right amount of money. He already has two dollars. He should be getting 50 cents in change. Yeah. Um, to go back to where when I was growing up in India, by age six, I was bringing groceries home. You know, mom would give me 50 rupees or whatever it was. She would say, go down to the shop, it's 45, and the guy will give you five change. And I guess it's a bit different here. I don't want to. It's programmed into you guys. It is. I mean, how did we change that here? I don't know. You know, it's. Well, I, I feel Kiwis have a, a really chill mentality, just too relaxed. Yeah. I kind of feel that. Both sides can learn from each other, right? Oh, 100%. So Kiwis yeah. are too chill. Yeah. They need to learn to have a better work ethic. Yeah. And Indians need to learn to relax. Yeah, that's the thing. Because yeah. <laughs> you guys a... work relentlessly, man. Yeah. There's a happy medium, I think, for both to be had. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like the Kiwi mentality, um, it's admired all over the place. You know, it's like, it'd be all right, you know. And it is all right, you know, unless you're just sitting at a house and hoping for the best. But um, it's fine. I mean, I come across my own kids now, and coincidentally, they are six and eight. And no, they do not go down to the supermarket and buy anything. <laughs> you know, they don't. Is it, well, have you told them to do that? Or nah, no, we haven't. So yeah, it yeah. shows you. Yeah, yeah. You know, within, well, it shows that you've adapted the yeah. Kiwi mentality within in ge- some ways. Within a generation, um, it's gone, you know. Yeah. That sort of cash register and the calculator in your brain. Yeah. Where um, they don't have any money in their hand, you know, um, while well, we drive them everywhere. Um, they don't walk down to the shops as such. Really? Uh, well, where we live in Rotatuna, there's nowhere to walk down to. Ah, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's what I miss sometimes, you know, um, having brought up a little bit in Linsdale and being in other parts of Hamilton when I drive around. Being in the northern suburbs, it is quite sort of segmented. You know, you do your own thing. 
uh, we're here, you know, even just walking down the street here. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got the uh, shopping center just there. Yeah, yeah. You got this other shop, you got food and veg and all that kind of stuff. So everything's quite close. Then Rotatuna, it just feels a bit divided, you know, you just sort of. Yeah. I think they're working on some mall or something there. Yeah, they? yeah. There's a couple coming up, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that is understandable. Hmm. But do you find that you've changed as a person since being here? In New Zealand? Yeah. Like, has it changed you much? Like, I, every time you go back to India, are they, are they like, what happened to you? No, not really, because, you know, it's very hard to, compl- um, to compare the two things. I left there as well, a... Well, they're se- very, very different. Yeah. yeah. When I was there as a 17-year-old, um, I obviously didn't work there. But um, this is a question someone else asked me a while ago. You know, if I was a grown 35-year-old man in India, would I be working for myself or how my life would be? I think my life would be very different. You know, I would have mm. people working for me. Um, you know, you in India, it's funny, there's a guy for everything or a lady, you know. Yeah, I remember going to uh, a restaurant, I think, in Mumbai. Yeah. And I went to the toilet and there was a dude just standing there while I was peeing. And I'm, I'm like, yo, man, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and he was there just to hand me like a little towel to like, you know, clean yeah. my hands. Yeah. And after the first time and every time after that I was like oh okay this is just their thing but yeah. the first time I was I thought he was just yeah. some so I'll, I'll, he was just I'll give really you, interested to me I'll give you a small example of things that make me feel uncomfortable now yep. um, either the last trip I went to New Delhi to the new, massive new airport now and um, this guy in the toilets at the airport you know there's many toilets yep. he's cleaning the toilet seat after every user like, he's going in there. Yes, I saw that as well. And yeah. he, he's doing it for a tip, which is fine. I'm happy to tip him, you know. You give him 100 rupee, that's $2, which is nothing to us. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot for that guy. Yeah, that's right. But it's just, you compare that to here, you know, um, it's very different. Completely different. We don't expect anyone to be cleaning the toilet continuously. Um, you know, I guess it gets cleaned. Um, I sometimes feel we have a sense of entitlement here, though. Uh, no, I disagree. I think it's different. It's in India. The sense of entitlement is high. In, term, in terms of what? From the in, community or the family? No, no, from the status, you know. Yes, I do agree in that sense. And you would have seen that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I Mate, see, it's, I see. it's all about status. You know, people are power hungry. Yeah, why is that? I think it's just in there, man. You know, um, I think the British were there for a long time. Yeah. And I think they tried hard to... It's funny, I read a bunch of blogs about it. Um, and the question, uh, do you go on Cura much? Q. Yes, yes. So I've gone Cura quite a lot. You yep. know, I'll be eating, but then I'm just reading a random question. And this guy had asked a question, you know, if the caste system or the hierarchy thing in India was brought in by the Muslim rulers or the British, or was it always there in the past? And there's a whole bunch of these um, very intelligent people answering the question saying it was always there. Yeah. You know, like you always had kings and queens. Yeah. You know, so it was never a... Uh, a true democracy mm-hmm. at any stage, right? You know, where till when the British left, now it has become a democracy of, of sorts. But it's still a quite a hierarchy thing, you know. They say it's a democracy, but it's manipulated. Is there still there's still a bit of division though between different classes in India? Oh yeah, it's yeah. massive. Yeah, it's massive, mate. It's it's. I wonder what <laughs> like what would be the way of fixing that. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean. Because here's the thing. This is what I personally feel. Just from being with an Indian and going there and stuff. I mean, I think India has the potential to be, you know, the biggest superpower in the world. If it just sorts all that stuff out, you know, the status and the the class system and 
the different divisions between. But you know, you the, know. Way, the way I look at it, um, you go to India and there's, it's like, it's, it's like doing a podcast, right? Like imagine if you and I were just doing this podcast, sitting at a train station right now, and you just look at fe- people's faces. Yeah. People are very happy. They are. So just, happy, but so little. They're over here, being here for 18 and a half years. People are always angry. They're always asking for more. They're over there. People are making it do with very little, you know, traveling up to two hours to work each morning. But that's all they know, right? So that's probably part of the reason. Like, if that's all you know, then you don't know any difference. So you, but once you have the ability to compare something, I'll give you an example. So I'm originally from Auckland, right? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up with Auckland traffic. Now, as time went on, Auckland traffic got worse. So then I had a comparison, right? And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. Then I moved down here. Now, since living here, every time I go back to Auckland, the traffic infuriates me so much more than it used to because mm. I've adapted to a different way of life where I don't sure. have to deal with it. So as of now, I, I don't have any tolerance for, for, for traffic. traffic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like for me, um, having learned to drive in New Delhi traffic, yeah, which is a life and death situation. You're driving for oh, su- yeah, yeah, you're yeah, driving yeah. for survival. <laughs> but um, coming to Hamilton then, and yeah. Hamilton was very different in 2001. How so? Um, in my opinion, it was half the size. Yep. Um, I think at the time they used to say you know eighty to hundred thousand people um, in Hamilton and around Hamilton. The northern suburbs did not exist. Um, yeah, I heard that, yeah. And the suburb you're in has been infilled quite a bit. You know, the section with 1,100 square meter has oh, yes, five yes. units. So, um, But also to give an example, because I live in Rotatuna, and when we had the store in uh, Dinsdale, Dinsdale, yeah. I could get to Huntley a lot quicker than my brother could just get across town. And it progressively got bad from really bad to very, very bad. Where The problem in Hamilton was the five or six bridges as well. The traffic just yeah, bridges it does only. get congested. Yeah. And I don't want to get into the whole planning thing. I can give <laughs> you some tips around it. There is a there is a guy who's meant to be coming on here, uh, Ian White. He's a professor in yeah. environmental planning. He's supposed to come on here at so, some point. So maybe I'll ask him about it. My dad, um, his background was in engineering and um, construction and town planning, all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, right. And I mean, he's a 69-year-old tired old man. Has he been here? He's here. So we moved oh, here as a family. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay, so he must be complaining about. Mate, he just looks. He just looks at this like, wow, this is not infrastructure. This is just madness. <laughs> and one thing I've noticed in my time here is, where in India where you got the corruption, where the government gives you the money to build this bridge, and that they take a very long time to slow it down, to keep adding to the budget, or whatever. But what we notice here, and, and my dad will give some good comments on it, as we build them quickly, we build them really crap very small, not forward thinking, and then we smash it up and then rebuild, which ends up costing significantly more. And really? It, they, That's oh, interesting. Mate, within Hamilton, I can give you several examples, you know, and I guess that comes from having been raised in a city with several million people yeah, versus yeah. Hamilton's only 100,000. So why did you move here as opposed to, say, Auckland or Wellington? I think it was a couple of things. We have family here. Oh, already here yeah, in here, Hamilton. Established in okay. Hamilton yeah, and yeah, always yeah. been in Hamilton. Yep. So it was a bit easy, but also I'm guessing, sort of thinking back to time, my parents were not interested in uh, Auckland because having come from a big city to another big city. It's like, why move then? Yeah. 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 Kind of. Which yeah. is fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. why Why not Wellington? I don't think they ever considered it. Yeah? I think in 
the first couple of years, it didn't exist. And South Island definitely didn't exist. You know, we never went down. <laughs> You've only got Christchurch, really. Yeah, yeah we yeah, never yeah. went down there. It was just Auckland talked about Hamilton. Yeah. And then a little bit of Tauranga was mentioned. Right. But um, it was just very Auckland or Hamilton thing. Yeah. Well, I think as time goes on, I, I think Hamilton and the Waikato will play a big part in terms of the growth of the country. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just from the various politicians that I've talked to. And yeah. Just from media, it seems that they're really focusing on Auckland, Waikato and Bad Plenty. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think in terms of connectivity... It's quite important. Yeah. Um, I don't think in your and my lifetime we're going to end up with <laughs> nah, nah, nah. We'll amazing. No, no, no. We'll be dead on this, this yeah. immortality pill or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, the point I was going to make is I don't think in your and my time we're going to have some magic public transportation bullet that will just be shot. Well, yeah. I did have uh, Jamie Strange on here. Yeah, yeah. I know Jamie. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Labor MP. And we had a in-depth discussion about high-speed rail. So they're doing a business case. And by high-speed rail, we're talking an hour from Hamilton CBD to Auckland CBD. Now, that's obviously nothing compared to, say, China or Japan, but it's still better than nothing. And they said that, well, he said that it might take five years to build. So that would be in our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd definitely use it if I needed to go to Auckland. Yeah. 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 Like for me, through 8 p.m., I'm in Auckland quite a bit. Last week I was there three days a week, but I only stayed one night. Right. Because I had appointments here in the morning. Okay. And the two times I drove back at about 11 at night, I was just, you know, if a train was an option, I would happily jump on one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because driving. You've been to Mumbai, right? Yes. So here's an analogy for you. The biggest problem we're always going to have in New Zealand is you got there quickly. How are you going to move on to the second or third part of your journey? Where in India, you come off a train station or a bus, you got a rickshaw, you got an auto, all those people that will help you finish the rest of the journey. Yeah. But even if I got to Auckland CBD, you know, relatively quickly and I need to get onto North Shore now or somewhere else, then I still have to pay the taxi or the Uber. So you can't just build one line and then. Yeah. yeah. I think the problem with Auckland as well is it sits on an isthmus. Hmm. So it's got two harbors, right? Which makes it geographically challenged in hmm. terms of building. And to be honest, they just built it all wrong. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I'm sure your your dad would probably have yeah. something to say about that yeah. as well. Uh, so th- the public transport is all backwards and it's all weird. And now they're trying to fix it. Apparently, in the '60s, they wanted to build an underground subway, but they're oh, like, right. "No, it's too expensive." Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that because because New Zealand yeah. is one of the most uh, car-related, reliable countries in the world, hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy. People come. I mean, I don't know how many times. I've had Indians say to me, yo, man, what's up with your public transport? <laughs> it sucks, yeah. But um, I'll give you a small example, like in New Delhi. Yeah. Very populated, very polluted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite inspiring to see on my last trip, and I think I noticed it before as well. Um, you know how in New Zealand, because train and other stuff is not as reliable for us, it doesn't go everywhere, so we rely on trucks. Yeah. But in New Delhi, you can only bring your trucks into the city between the hours of 8 p.m. and 8 in the morning. Oh, it's because of pollution. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And traffic flow. So, oh, right. so, so, you know, quite often when I'm driving that highway, especially daytime, you know, the amount of trucks you see, all those container trucks all day. So there's, there's ways you can take congestion away by bringing a law in. Is there a peak hour in Delhi or is it just always peak hour? Mate, <laughs> I challenge you to go at two in the morning to the airport and as National State Highway 1 runs past it, you will feel like it's the middle of the day. There's just, there's no gap between the cars. It just continues but yep. you know how you said earlier about you don't know until you know something different yeah yeah but you know one way to challenge the status quo and say hey look 
none of the B trains, none of the container trucks can be driven on Auckland motorway between the hours. Now you take some congestion out and obviously start creating some work for nighttime because those motorways are sitting silent at night. There's not a lot going on. Yeah. So there's ways to think of it, but it's not up to you and me to make those decisions. That's right. You know. Um, That's but, why I want to get some politicians on here. Yeah, do, man. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but trouble is, man, dare I say, these guys don't know better either. Because, again, they know what they know, which is from here. Maybe we need to send some of these guys to... Well, I wonder how many of them have actually gone overseas. I, I mean, I know Jacinda and Winston Peters, they obviously have dealings with... Yeah, you know, various politicians overseas, and they sometimes have to go there, so they would get an idea, I'm sure, of how. But yeah, it actually surprises me how many Kiwis I know who haven't been overseas, or if they have been overseas, they've only been to Australia, and just Australia gives a bit of a distorted reality as well. Australia is just a little bit bigger. That's not a- well. I, it's New Zealand on steroids. Yeah, yeah, and with creatures that can kill you and a worse accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like having been to Noosa for a family holiday, mm-hmm. um, six eight weeks ago, um, my wife actually said she's like, it's just and and she's been before. Yeah, she's like, it's just like New Zealand. It's the same stores, you know. And she actually kept saying, it's like, wow. So all of these big brand stores are from Australia. They just moved them here. You know, um, or, yeah. they're, or they're American anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so are there certain things that you appreciate New Zealand about New Zealand? Mate, there's many, right? There's yeah. many. You know, no one's trying to kill me. Um, there, even as a child growing up in New Delhi, there would have been many incidents of terrorist attacks. Well, yeah, I know. I know the history between the uh, Hindus and the Muslims, yeah. and I think my partner was actually. Um, in India during the, uh, what was it, the Mumbai attack? Yeah. So I flew yeah. into India while it was going on. Um, I think it was my cousin's wedding. And yeah. my family begged me. Um, I, di- I didn't fly into Mumbai. I flew into New Delhi for a wedding. Okay. But it was still ongoing when the Mumbai attack was going on. Mm. And um, I remember landing in New Delhi airport and it took four hours for our luggage to come out because they were checking everyone's bags again and again or whatever they were yeah, doing. Yeah, fair enough. Would, and, that, would that be the equivalent of... America's 9-11, that, that attack in India? I think India's- Like ha- in terms of how it shocked the country, but I suppose there's been a lot of terrorist attacks there. So I'm I wondering- think there's been so many. I, I wonder, I, I probably wouldn't be the right person to comment on it. Yeah. It's big, but there's been many. I mean, the recent one was when they blew up two buses full of yeah. army men. Yeah. That's shocking, man. It's like for us as Kiwis, very hard to comprehend, but um, it seems, nah, seems yeah. like they've moved on from it, you know? Um, very, very different. Mm. Um, and obviously, we can't live in our innocence anymore. You know, since what happened in Christchurch, it's kind of like gone from happy days to holy shit, it's just gone to a whole yeah, different level. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah that, yeah, that that changed the whole game. You know, it's interesting is the day of the shooting, uh, my partner and I were going to go to the cinemas to watch that Hotel Mumbai movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I haven't seen the movie. Uh, yeah, which is. Obviously, we ended up watching it later, which was... Oh, I was infuriated as I was watching the movie. It's a good movie. I do recommend watching it. Hotel but, Mumbai. No, yeah, so that's about the, the terrorist attack on the... Oh, okay, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. No, yeah. I haven't seen that. And it's really, really good. Right. Uh, but yeah, it'll make you infuriated. And so, yeah, we, we decided not to go. I'm like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't go because it was just... So were you guys in Christchurch? No, 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 no. We were here. We okay, were just going to yeah. go watch the movie. Sure. But, I mean, I saw the live video of the Christchurch shooting. Yeah, I saw it too, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I, I, at first, I was like, what is this? Is this some parody thing? Yeah, I didn't I know what it was. And then... It took a while to kick in. Actually, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. real. Yeah. 
It uh, shows it shows how entertainment and real life is blurring. The mm, line is blurring. Yeah. Like I know we're not supposed to be sharing the video, um, but there's a particular part, there's a lady cuddling a girl. Yep. And in the video I could tell they're dead. And that's when it kicked in for me. And, and I was in Huntley that day. And I started crying uncontrollably. I was like, I think this is like I don't know who was in the show, I don't remember. Like I think this is for real. Do we ring someone? Like like seriously, what's going on? And I guess the whole country went through it and unfortunately the gentleman in question succeeded in terms of the terror is not and, and they do that's what they do in India as well. It's the propaganda is just as much part of the moment. You know, continuously keep sharing about it and all that kind of stuff. And um I guess the say gentleman succeeded in that, you know, getting it into our heads. The 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 making I, us feel scared. Yeah. I do think the response from Kiwis was very well done and I think Jacinda handled it pretty well in terms of compared to some politicians i would imagine they would handle it much differently yeah i think um being a mother um and a lady she was much better equipped to show the compassion yeah you know money doesn't solve things no you know money's not the answer because i think that's where they're going back wrong in india and one of the biggest problems in india is you got all these testron driven politicians mouths do you like modi modi I have my moments with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I talk to some people and they either love him or they hate him. Nah. I went to some kebab shop the other day with my partner and then uh, he immediately realized that she was Indian. Right. And then he asked her, oh, do you like Modi? And then she's like, eh. And then he asked me, he's like, do you know who Modi is? I'm like, oh, yeah, I know who Modi is. And then he went on this huge rant about Modi. Yeah. And like customers were coming in. And he wasn't even serving them. He was just going on, going on this rant. I'm like, dude. Positive or negative? Nah, negative. Yeah. So I, I, I can give you some examples. So it's quite ironic. All the work he's achieving because he is in position of power. Mm. It's quite like Jacinda. You know, there's dreams and hope she has. But um, she is in a coalition government. So her hands struggle sometimes. But Modi finds himself in this amazing position of being second term unanimously. And yeah, pa- and parliament and won by a massive majority. Yeah, which is quite unique. But what is not talked about now, even 10, 15 years ago, he was not allowed to go into US because um, he was allegedly involved in a lot of rights, Hindu Muslim rights. Yeah, because a lot of people blame him for uh, some of the you know terrorist attacks and dividing. Yeah, not taking action basically. Yeah, dividing what, Muslims and Hindus. Yeah. You well, know. I, I, I think whether that's true or not, I don't know. Insane. But f- what I get out of it is he didn't instigate any of it. Yeah, he just did nothing to stop it. That's what is talked about, right? And he or his political party might have benefited from that. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lot of people don't understand is India has world's biggest Muslim population for a country. Yes, a lot of even people don't though, realize that, even though that they are the minority, minority. in India. Yeah, because India is less massive. than less than twenty percent of the population. Oh, I've, I've heard some of his speeches where he's like, India first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Modi comes from oh, Hindus first. Yeah, yeah, Hindu first. So political party that backs or the machine that backs Modi is very hardcore Hindu-driven mentality, which quite rightfully, you know, it's six, seven hundred million people mm. there, which makes them bigger than some of the, you know, quite a lot of other religions or sections of society all over the world. Yeah, because India is still very, very religious compared to oh, some other countries. Yeah, I mean, it's religion-driven, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you say? Uh, Are you very religious? On occasion. On occasion, <laughs> what does that mean? But I'm, I'm, let me just finish that. Like in India, they say I think it says cricket, religion, and politics. Yeah, man. 
but yeah. it's up to you which way oops, sorry yeah. which way you do it you know cricket's massive religion and uh, politics because everyone has an opinion um, and that shows you man democracy you know you got india in the middle you got bangladesh pakistan afghanistan nepal countries where you can't raise your voice you will disappear yeah you look at china but in india still to this day you can raise your voice which is one of the good things yeah. might, might not go anywhere you'll probably need a few million around you to let people let you make notice you yeah, know there's yeah. been guys who've achieved that but um you can still raise your voice and you will be heard mm. um, or you will not be persecuted for it uh indirectly where mate i could name 20 countries all around india um, big or small because a lot of those countries from what i understand is they used to be part of india like so Bangladesh used to be East Pakistan. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was West Pakistan and East Pakistan yeah. and then West Pakistan became Pakistan and yeah. East so Pakistan became Bangladesh. When the division there happened, uh, Pakistan and um, there was East and West Pakistan. Yep. And then East Pakistan, which is, say, Bangladesh now, weren't yep. happy. So I think India helped them basically get rid of Pakistan. Yep. And then that became Bangladesh, mm. um, which was in 70s. Mm. Yeah. Can I tell you something real quick? You'll find this very interesting. Yeah. So either the last trip I was in India or the one before, my visa to stay in India expired. Um, I was oh, there. Oh, really? I was there on a 28-day visa and I overstayed it. I so you're a citizen? When you... Yeah, I'm a citizen here. Nice. So I'm there, right? I'm on my Kiwi passport. And my big plan was to just turn up at the airport with a $100 note or whatever with my passport and I'll just, you know, I'll just pay a bribe and I'll leave. That was, <laughs> I've heard that's a huge thing, eh? <laughs> But uh, my father like, my father was like, no, no, you can't do that. Like, <laughs> you're thinking of 60s and 70s. <laughs> they will arrest you. Then I spent, and I, I don't want to take over your podcast, but I could give you a seven-hour podcast on how I was stuck for 35 days in India just to get an exit visa uh, to leave the country safely without, you know, turning up the airport and having no visa days left. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the critical moments during that 35 days was I sat across the table yep. from a gentleman. He was interviewing me, you know, and um, I said to him, I don't know why you are persecuting me. I'm one of you. And he goes, you're not one of us. You're a Kiwi. You're from New Zealand. You're not an Indian anymore. And I right now can't tell if you're an Indian or an ex-Indian or you're from Pakistan or you're from Afghanistan or you're from Bangladesh. Or, what the hell? I know. From any number of these countries, you could be a spy. So we need to identify you're not a threat and you are who this person. But I mean, I guess I understand yeah. why they do that because they want to protect and you know, the, the security of the, of the country, which is fair enough. But he went on a great length to explain to me how anyone who does not have a job in Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Manama, uh, Nepal, ends up in India, which is kind of like, you know, Indians want to leave India and go to New Zealand, Australia, Canada, States, whatever. Mm. But people in all, some of these smaller countries or smaller economies want to end up in India and sort of just mix into the crowd, you know, get a job and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of understood what he means. And, you know, we have... Because I imagine you'd still have extended family. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what yeah. got me out in the end, sorry to close the story, is um, yeah. mom had some of our passports from when we first came here. Right. Um, so we presented that, you know, case closed, yeah, stamp, get out of here. So, I had it, yeah. I had it pretty straightforward when I went through immigration. Yeah, yeah. But my partner said, "Oh, you're white, so you'll be fine." I'm like, <laughs> "What does that mean?" <laughs> so I, 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 yeah. So I did, I didn't have any problems. But yeah, it was, it was still an interesting experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. it's, um, yeah. I mean, there's part of me that wants to go back to India now, 
but like I said, I'm in my own own self-imposed 10-year hiatus from it. Mm. Um, and I've only got to five now, which has been brilliant for me, man. There's places I've visited and and literally my work now with whiskey, that was a critical moment for me where my wife- Because you've done well for yourself. Mate, it's, it's, it's growing. Yeah. Um, but um, January of last month, my wife, for first time by herself, took the two kids yeah. to India, and I didn't go with her, and that was very- Oh, because they were, were they born here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So uh, how did they find it? How oh, they, they found it, though, they were a bit older now. Yeah. They have been prior. Right. But they were much younger, so this was a good trip. Yeah. But um, for me, as a, you know, talking about culture and uh, expectations- I think it's important, though. Yeah. That they learn where they're from and yeah. their culture. But I say to her, look, you need to go do this. But in March, two months later, I need to go to Scotland. I want to go learn this stuff. I know it's going to look like a lot of fun and talking about whiskey, drinking whiskey, posting on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook all day. It looks like a lot of fun, but it still is work. Yeah. It makes me money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you say learning in Scotland, what did you learn exactly? Can you be a bit specific in terms yeah, of sure, the, sure. The, the skills you learned in terms of making whiskey? Because I imagine there is an art to it. Yeah. Right. So I had a critical question in my head directly before that trip. Yeah. And I, I had to answer it for myself a little bit before that as why someone should spend any more than $100 on a bottle of whiskey. What's the answer? Well, because <laughs> at that time I had tried so many whiskeys, well, $100, they vowed me. But when I got there, I started to learn quite a lot more about the art of making whiskey. But the real art also lies in aging whiskey. What kind of cask you're going to age it in? How long you're going to age it for? What ABV, alcohol quantity, you're going right. to release it at? Those sort of things start to determine the quality, but also rarity of the whiskey significantly. To give an example, you know, there's some limited edition bottle that comes out, and now I have a deep knowledge of cask types, cask size. I'll say to my clients, hey, look, this is super rare. It's $200 bottle. Here's the reasons. And it's a 15,000 bottle release. And they go, that's quite a lot. Like, it's not really. There's yeah. 7 billion of us. I know not everyone necessarily spending $200 in a bottle of whiskey, but the 15,000 bottles, it's nothing. You know, once you sort of explain to them how the flavor changes, and a lot of that is not going to happen until you slow down the process and try stuff side by side. So how much testing do you do? Because you must have to try a lot of different <laughs> whiskeys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And be like, no, too much in that. And So uh, would you have like a, a you know, a wine glasses a whole line of them and then no, you just no no nah, so no. how how do you go about testing this stuff so for me so do you do it on your own or do you have a group with so, you no so i'm one of the most selfish whiskey drinkers in the history of mankind where um and i quite enjoy being in your room right now where i need peace and quiet to be able to be with the whiskey right. if i'm going to understand it you know because mm -hmm. i'm drinking for flavors and smells do you view it like a sense of meditation um I wouldn't associate that with it. Yeah, yeah. But um, a, uh, a sense of relaxation. Okay. Yes. Yep. Where, and it's funny, this morning I told you I was speaking to a bunch of uh, business owners. Yeah, yeah. And uh, leaders. And I was saying to them, A, I drink whiskey for flavors and smells. But B, it's very hard for me to go and put that mindset into all of my customers. Some of them get it. But the whole Kiwi culture of just drinking stuff way too fast it's very, very hard. And I did a video on LinkedIn about it as well, where um, for me, quite often, I only need five or seven mils of a whiskey to be able to understand the flavors and smells. Um, you know, and within that, I'll go back to a couple of times, but in Kiwi culture, you know, you put 15 mil, 30 mil shot in front of someone, 
they'll knock it back and then just they just dude i'm really bad when it comes to alcohol i mean i don't drink it that much but yeah. it's because i eat really fast and i drink really fast right and so <laughs> sometimes i drink alcohol like it's coke or water yeah. so i'm just like gone i mean i had some wine recently at my brother's house and i drank it way too fast yeah. and i was like oh that was a dumb idea because i don't even i don't even realize i'm doing it that's the thing yeah yeah because yeah. you can't drink wine yeah. like that it's yeah. not supposed to be consumed like that yeah so yeah. can i i'll give you a small example of yeah. how a good high quality whiskey drinker's mindset is which i like to think i am okay so yesterday 12 hour work day yeah got up got home at 7 7 30 put the kids to sleep tell them some story about because um, all my stories start with once upon a time there was a village called Hamilton. <laughs> they were, they've called me out on that. Is that is there any more villages there? <laughs> Just Hamilton. But um, then I uh, had to do some work on the laptop. Yep. And then uh, record a couple of whiskey reviews. But that's only when I got to try a couple of sips of whiskey. Uh, they were good, high quality whiskeys. But uh, I could try them. I could write a little bit about them. Yeah. But that's all you really need. Um, you know. Um, but even I do the tastings in group environment, I struggle to get people's attention. Uh, but I'll very quickly identify five or 10 people in the group who want to learn more. And how, do you, how do you tell? Do I ask questions? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I think people have short attention spans these days. Yeah. And the other problem is I can quite easily tell who are going to be the problem makers because they're going to start by saying, is that all the whiskey we're going to get today? But um, <sighs> also... They'll be the first people who'll be literally on the floor by the end of the evening because they're drinking. Well, that's good. You're like, oh, shut up. Yeah, craft beer <laughs> and this and that. And then, you know, they, it's affecting them because some of these whiskeys and the whiskeys I talk to are very high in ABV as well. Um, you know, 50%, 60% at cast strength and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So it does affect people. You know, you got to respect it. You got to slow the process down. Yeah. Um, I guess the whole Kiwi mentality and, you know, mate, I ran a liquor store in Huntley. For 15 years, I still do that four percent beer mentality. You know, I can just keep peeling a 24 pack. I don't know pack. why. We're, like we're a binge drinking culture. Yeah, it's real weird, man. It's going away slowly. I'm seeing changes. Trust Are me. You? Yeah, because yeah. I, I uh, yeah. yeah, I think th I had another guest on here, and um, he he has a lot of involvement with the youth, hmm. and he says we like to celebrate in New Zealand, but we don't like to deal with our problems. Right. And I think sometimes we use substances as a way to mask the problem hmm. or deal with it. <clears throat> yeah. Can I give you an analogy for that? Yeah. So having been here since I was 17, why could a uni party like this? No, tomorrow. Party, party, really? party. From Thursday to Saturday morning or Sunday morning, you know, it's just like one continuous party, going to people's garages. I played cricket for a long time. Yeah. It's a lot of garage parties. But um, the point I want to make is you compare that or people of any age, you know, the Kiwi culture yeah. of starting the barbie at five and going till 11 at night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where the Indian party, you know, where a group of men or ladies are getting together, it's a very short window. They'll get together at eight, they'll have four or five whiskeys, done. Dinner, that's go it. home. Because they're only catching up for that short period of time. And I think that's where somehow... The well, Indi Indians don't binge drink, though, do oh, they? Oh, mate, they do. They do? You'd be shocked. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I've seen some big problem drinkers in my time. Yeah. Uh, like, real Interesting. Big. But also, um, if you're going to drink whiskey and some of those harder drinks, you're not going to last from 5 p.m. to 1 in the morning. You'll be on the floor about <laughs> quarter to six. <laughs> you know? So, there's a difference. And it's, it just shows Indians are enjoying their drink as well. You know? They're, they're having a good time. They're having a hangover in the morning to be proud of and all that kind of stuff. 
but it's just shared in a different way, you know, where the Kiwi mentality is, you know, we started about five nice summer days or if it's winter, we're inside in front of the fire, but we need to make it last. So I think the beer and the wine kicks in uh, quite well, but I believe you end up drinking significantly more that way. Um, which people like we profit from, you know, if you're buying from the shops. So uh, you also sell vodka and craft beer and all that stuff as well? So it, there's a different journey. In the shops, we sell everything. Okay. On 8 p.m., it's not just whiskey. We have vodkas and rums and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. Because I'm so vocal about whiskey, it just dominates the whole okay, space. Okay, so your your biggest sales are in whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. But what I've done is um, two weeks ago, I haven't acted on it fully, I've registered a domain name in my own name, ashpama.co.nz, where I would like to start blogging about whiskey and my journey around it, people I meet, people I want to interview, yep. and start posting that on there. So 8 p.m. can go and just be a retailer. Why did you call it 8 p.m.? Is that what time you go to sleep? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> the idea in my head was, um, again, that Kiwi mentality. Right. You, you come home at 5 or you go to the pub, you have a beer or you have a wine with your meal. Yeah. But at 8 p.m. you drink something quality. Um, if that sort ah, of, right. yeah, like a spirit. Yeah. 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 Uh, Do people ask you about that? All yeah. Time quite a bit. It's on the website. Yeah, 8 PM. We, we put it into the about page. Oh, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I yeah, did yeah, see that. Yes, yeah. yes. So, but you know, I'm never home at 8 PM. You know, I'm not home at nine. Sometimes I'm home at 1 AM. Does your wife joke about it? Make jokes with you about it? Hey. <laughs> Because uh, that's the original reason why you can yeah, with it and get Because yeah. how busy are you? I imagine you'd be very, very busy. Mate, beyond busy. So how do you how do you balance business with family life? I think the balance being is, an Indian balance is where very, it's programmed in you guys to work <laughs> relentlessly. Yeah, I think, and then make Kiwis feel bad because <laughs> we don't work that hard. <laughs> now the balance is definitely um, beyond poor. I think I, I wouldn't hide that. The, well, um Wives have a way of uh, letting you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> but with me, um, my wife sees my method to this madness where I'm trying to get out of the liquor store mentality into this, and any number of doors are opening for me right now because of 8 p.m. You know, speaking, um, hosting functions, selling high quality product to some incredibly wealthy people, but that requires a lot of networking and. I still believe in one-on-one yeah. networking. Networking know. is key, particularly in New Zealand, because yeah. New Zealand is a village. Oh, right? mate. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be burning bridges and everybody knows everybody, really. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, I ended up in situations where, like last week, I went to three functions in Auckland. Yeah. And I walked in the room and I had a dozen people come up to me and say, you're the whiskey guy, because they see me on LinkedIn predominantly. That's I, cool. Yeah. Which is good. That means the word's getting out. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know of a word called omnipresence. Yes. Yeah. So I did a very expensive uh, mindset course in the Gold Coast. Um, and the only thing I got out of it was how to be, or the importance of being omnipresent where you're not anywhere, but you are everywhere. Yeah. Where a lot of people see my energy and go, wow, this is, this guy's just on the go. Quite often I'm sharing something I've already done. You know, but that Kiwi mentality again, you know, of... Um, well, here's the thing. Because of your work ethic, yeah. you're going to have an advantage yeah. over a lot of people. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah. that's how I view it. I mean, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you work harder than the guy next to you, yeah. then of course you're going to be more successful, right? Yeah. But also, um, there's such a thing as being strategic, which I'm learning now. Oh, um, yeah. Work I'm, smarter, not harder. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Where, um, yeah, I'm saying a lot of yes to any number of situations right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll come to this or I'll come hang out with you at this or speak to you about this or whatever. 
But um, I guess as time's progressing, I'm becoming a little bit more exclusive um, with my time, putting value on it. So but, how often do you approach people as opposed to people approaching you? Uh, the scale's tipping significantly now. People really? are approaching me. Oh, wow. So I'll give you a small example. Yesterday, uh, a corporate client yep. asked me if uh, he bought a couple of these very expensive gifts mm -hmm. for a client who would probably not know necessarily yep. what these really particular very expensive bottles are. Would I, for a small feed, record a private video just for them, explaining to them what the whiskey is? And I thought about it. I was like, that's... I've never had that request. Yeah, yeah. And um, I went back to the guy and I said, would you pay me to do this? And I was like, yeah, I'll pay you to do that because I'm already spending 300, 350 bucks. You know, I think you can charge for your time. I don't want the video to be very long, just a couple of minutes. And I've recorded the video last night um, and uploaded it to show him this is what I'm thinking. First time I've done something like that. I've done whiskey reviews, obviously, they're on YouTube. Yeah. But uh, first time I've recorded like just a private video and um, the guy texted me this morning, he was blown away by it. He thought it was quite good and something I should work on, not for everyday people, but in that corporate space. Yeah, where, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah, you know, you're getting a bottle and then there's like a, you know, like the, who is the guy, you know, uh, hit play, the message will self-destroy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, like one of those Mission Impossible. Mission type. Impossible, yeah, there yeah, you go, yeah. 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 Tom things. Cruise. Yep, yeah, Tom yeah, Cruise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's why... I'm going to any number of these networking things, man, with an open mind where I've made a ton of money being in the shop, but a very closed mindset. You you are in the shop. There's not a lot you can grow from there. Yeah, yeah. But because of 8 p.m., I'm literally traveling the country. Um, I think we weren't connected back in July when I did my uh, nationwide whiskey tour. Mm. And that was spur of the moment. There was no method to it. Yeah. I just saw someone who had done one in UK. I was like, that'd be quite cool. Just... Put a whole heap of tastings on, um, not looking for sales, but just yeah, to get the I word out. Yeah, I saw out. that and I was like, oh, that's really cool. So I ended up doing, I think, 18, 19 tastings all over the country, um, which, again, it shows you the Indian mentality, man. I'm happy to put my hours into it. Well, but, you're passionate about it too. Yeah. So that makes it easy. Yeah. If, you, if you're doing something that you actually hate, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then it makes it a bit harder. What I hate is being at Huntley right now, <laughs> where I have to go to after this, but um, it's a job. I'll still do it. You know, that's well, honey's the hood, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's that Kiwi mentality where I still come across situations um, where people are expecting a return even before taking an action. Where I'm a firm believer in yeah. taking imperfect action and, and, the, and the reward will come later. Well, business is always a risk too, right? It is, man. Yeah. You know, you got to take action. It's in some ways, I guess you could say it's a gamble. Yeah. Depending, because you don't really not 100% whether something's going to work. Yeah. You can research and look into it as much as you can, but you really don't know what's going to happen until you actually but do it. But there's competition as well. You're not the only <laughs> one with that same idea. That's right. You're not special. No, I'm not special. You're not special. No yeah, one is special. But the world teaches you. You are special. And it's like, nah, no, you're not, not, man. Yeah. You really aren't. The world will chew you up, chew you up and spit you out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're... Um, being in Huntley, I sort of see a lot of these kids, you know, um, quite often they end up leaving Huntley. I think that's where their real journey starts because there's no jobs in Huntley. There's not a lot. No. It's a very small place, you know. Um, no, and I think a lot, of, a lot of people who live in Huntley, I know Aucklanders that live in Huntley and commute to Auckland for work. And they do. Well, that's crazy. But um, hmm. yeah, and some live in Huntley and commute to Hamilton as well. But They do? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been commuting from Hamilton to Huntley for 15 years now. It's not that far, though. It's oh, it's like nothing, 15, mate. 20 minutes. Like, you and know, you're from New Delhi, man. From New Delhi. It's like, <laughs> I remember like um, 
um, my dad used to drive my mum to the bank. Yeah. And can you imagine like the Fra uh, Franklin Bridge? Uh, yep. Just on this side of the BP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine being on top of it and being able to see the red light. Yeah. Right? It's a much bigger bridge. But you see the light go green, red, green, red, like 10 times, but the traffic hasn't moved. Because traffic has nowhere to go, even when it goes green, because directly after it, there's another thousand cars, and then after, it just moves so slowly. This is my memories from growing yeah, up yeah, yeah. in New Delhi. But compared to now, um, I think traffic flows very well in Delhi. They've made a um, lot of changes. Okay. They've literally built a bridge over every... Like a flyover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, They need a few of those in Auckland, to be fair. One thing I saw which was quite good was um, the U-turn. You don't have to make a right-hand turn at the lights because that's what slows the traffic down. If you can run traffic in a straight line, mm. even if you slow it down, it keeps moving. But when you stop it, that's when hell breaks loose. Right. So what I saw in New Delhi, I don't know if we can do it here. Our roads are not big enough. Is they'll make you do a U-turn four, three Ks down the road. So you sort of merge back in the road and then you end up taking a left turn. Yeah. Instead of taking a directly right turn, slowing the... But different scales, man. Yeah, City I mean, and I'm no environmental planner, so... Same, man. Yeah. I don't <laughs> we think can we, theorize, but yeah, we what just, do we actually know? <laughs> we know nothing. <laughs> yeah. and, um, it's like people who comment on politics, but they don't actually know what the they're talking about, myself included. Yeah, I do as well. <laughs> and I dig a big hole for myself every time. I think I dug a hole for myself a couple of days ago by... Uh, what did I... Oh, man, what did I post? Oh, I forget now. I always <laughs> dig a hole. Yeah. Just, yeah. What else would you like to know? Well, why don't you show me some of your whiskey? Because you got two whiskeys here. So this is a real spur of the moment. Um, Hold it up to the camera. Oh, is that the camera I'm on? This one. This cool. one. The second so, one here. Yeah. Yeah. So what's that one? That's so that's a Japanese whiskey. Um, Hibiki. Japanese whiskey. Yeah. Did you develop it in Japan? <laughs> <laughs> so I was quite lucky to go to Japan on a corporate trip uh, through the shops. I want to go there. Yeah. Is it good? It's the best. Yeah. You have. To I've heard. I've heard that. The country and the beauty is similar to here. Yeah. A country of our size yeah. and beauty, much cleaner than us. Like, take my word on it. Yeah. But how much? Like 30 times our population and the second biggest economy in the world. Yeah, yeah. Mate, I've heard I've heard their their um their work ethic is insane though. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like Indians have nothing on Japanese. <laughs> yeah. Like Indians are the lazy ones <laughs> compared to the, But you know, um the Japanese uh, mindset is very much that um, taking great actions. You know, you don't have to work hard to get ahead. Um, well, I've heard, because I have a friend who used to teach English in Japan, and she said that it was common in workplaces for people, even if they finish all their work, they won't leave until the boss leaves. Yeah. And yeah. if you leave early or it's on a, time, it's actually frowned upon. Yeah. So everybody just stays there yeah. until the boss leaves, which Mate, seems ridiculous. It's just, yeah. And I think the respect thing, um, like you notice little things in life, right? So we're on this corporate trip and we're staying at one of the best hotels in Tokyo, mm -hmm. which is ridiculously expensive. Like I think it was $800 a night for just a normal hotel room. Um, and you'll go there on the bus. But as the bus will pull away, the concierge or the guy who loads the bus with the buses, he bows down. To every bus, everyone's in the bus. No one's looking at him. The driver's not looking at him, but he still does it. It's that respect thing, you know. The guest is leaving. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I, I know, I know in India. So uh, this is part of Hinduism, isn't it? That, yeah. that the guest is God. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So I'm wondering if it, it would probably be a similar, similar thing. thing. In Japan. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, you know, if you look at India and Japan, man, in terms of cleanliness, 
the <laughs> be on a completely different. You'll have to lift me out my hand for Japan. Will have to like go through the roof, and India would be like through the floor. But it's that it's a community thing, right? No one in India is telling the people to come and dirty the place up. It's just in the mindset. But also, it's the government's fault as well. You know, like you go around New Delhi, you don't see proper bins. But that we, you know, like in New Zealand, if we don't see a bin for I don't know however long period of time, we go, "Whoa, there's no rubbish bin. What's going on?" Yeah. But in India, it's quite different. There, there's a distinct lack of them. Yeah. Well, I remember because I was there during Diwali. Right. And, dude, the next day, just, just, just fireworks everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, "Is anyone going to clean this up?" And my partner's yeah. like, "Nope." But um, nobody cleans it up. I'm like, "What?" In Japan, you go to the train station. And you got a million people moving around every hour. Oh, I've seen the videos on online of that. Eh? No rubbish bins. They like push you into yeah. the into the train. But again, no rubbish bins because the Jap- Japanese mentality is: you've just bought a pie and a drink, finish eating it at the shop where there is a bin. Yeah, you know, like here we just move around with our McDonald's. Sometimes we we'll just chuck stuff on the ground. Yeah, yeah. very different there. And um, mm. sometimes you find it quite awkward. You're like, what do I do with this? You know, I'm just got a cup. <laughs> just keep. So walking. can can you speak a little bit of Japanese? Oh, no. No? No. So how did you communicate with people when you were there? Um, did you have a translator? No, no, no. So the corporate trip, yep. um, which was six days, right. was fully guided. And the four days I did by myself to go visit two whiskey distilleries. Uh, uh, was one, this in Tokyo? Uh, well out of Tokyo. I took a bullet train down to Kyoto uh, to, yep. to go see Yamazaki distillery, yep. which was a bit of a challenge because I missed my train. Almost missed my train, I mean. Uh, ended up being on the long, wrong platform. But luckily, you know, like Indian movie scene, you know, I'm running my suitcase. Yeah, yeah. Is there, is there English signs or is it all Japanese text? I'm allergic to public transport. And what do you mean you're allergic to public? Is that from living here? <laughs> <laughs> As in, I don't want to understand your public transport, you know? Just get me there. <laughs> and um, that's that's very much me, not the Japanese. Okay. Um, they gave me clear instructions. I just refused to understand them. But that's from because I've been here for so long. I don't use you've, public. Yeah, you've been conditioned. You just drive everywhere. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah. That's right. But mate, that bullet train was an experience. Eh? Like we're talking Auckland to Wellington in three hours. You know, it's just. Can you imagine if they had something like that here? I mean, it, we don't have the population size to support it, which yeah. I think people need to understand. It's all about money. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it costs a lot to run. Yeah. But you need people on it. Who, yeah. who are going to pay to use it? Yeah, yeah. Gum, it, the government's not going to fund it. No, yeah. no. That's why I think the high-speed rail thing, if it is going to work, the best place to do it is between Auckland and Hamilton because mm. you've got the the biggest city mm. and the fourth largest city. Yeah. Yeah. But this bullet train for – there's different lines. It's called Shinkansen. Mm-hmm. It's leaving every three minutes on the dot. Like um, you go 1058 and – And know, it's exactly there. And on the platform it says, you know – buggy or the, the the box number seven will be here yeah and you just watch it roll in and the door is on where it says it will be it will never be late getting there it will never be late leaving it yeah and it will be where exactly it says it will be it's just a brilliant experience i think for kiwis if they ever end up in japan i think one thing we need to do is just get on the bullet train just to get a feel for how the life could be it's very expensive it's not cheap oh yeah i'd imagine it's, so it's very well, you, yeah you have to but you get what you pay for. Yeah. Convenience is the number one factor yeah. for a lot of people. But also um, for the second distillery, when I left Tokyo, I had to go to, and I forget these villages because Kyoto was easy to remember. Yeah. It's a big city, but the other ones, I could never name them unless I do the research again. Mm. Caught these two trains, got off at the wrong station, 
And this guard, he's just shaking. He's like, how, how are we going to help this guy? Like, you know, he's running around. He's not understanding me. Um, there's just like a guard. Because no, I, I understand that English isn't... No. It's not well known in Japan. N- not out of the cities. Uh, in Tokyo, you will run oh, into someone who will speak right, good English. Right, right, But in rural areas. Yeah. And when I ended up in this small village where Hakushu Distillery was, did my visit, came back to the station, and I lasted my whole trip without cash. But for whatever reason, I wanted some cash. And the ATM was just very confusing. Uh, works very different to us. Mm-hmm. And um, these two older ladies, they were, like again, like the guard, they were shaking them. Like, we can't help this young fella. You know, he's asked us of some, something of us. Did you use um, Google Translate? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that would be a lifesaver there. Yeah. That, Can you yeah. imagine doing it before Google Translate? You'd be standing there with a massive book like, crap. Page 83. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would like a glass of water, please. <laughs> yeah. But obviously people went in the past and they survived mm. somehow. Mm. So, so when you were making this whiskey. Oh, I didn't make it. Oh, you didn't make it. No, no, no. I don't make whiskey. I just talk about it. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. 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 And I sell it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So what was the process when you were meeting and um, talking about this whiskey? Like, How is Japanese whiskey different to, say, Indian whiskey or sure. New Zealand whiskey? So like Japanese whiskey, you gotta, you got to consider World War I and two in between right. to fully understand it. So before World War I, I think this particular gentleman ended up in Scotland. Because he wanted to learn more about whiskey. Because mm-hmm. directly before that, Japanese were drinking a lot of wine made out of rice. Right. You know, um, shoju and um, all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. So their hard spirit or a spirit aged in oak, which is sometimes referred to as brown spirit, mm-hmm. was not drunk. It was enjoyed, but not made in Japan. So right. this guy named Takutsu, he ended up in Scotland, uh, learned some of this art, married this uh, Scottish lady. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved back to Scotland, and he's known as the father of whiskey, um, you know, in Japan. Right. And the story goes on from there. He worked for this company, helped them develop a distillery, but then he went and established his own distillery called Nika, which is quite well known. But then the two world wars kick in. Uh, what you got to understand is you need barley as a grain, Mm-hmm. to make good quality whiskey, in, which is not grown in Japan. They grow a lot of rice. Uh, rice is grown everywhere. It's a big part of the diet. But also you need good quality either American or Spanish oak casks, you know, the whiskey barrels, yeah. to age the whiskey in. Because there is oak in Japan, but it's called Mizunara. Not a very good quality oak in terms of aging the whiskey. Good. It is slightly porous. Mm. So if you put liquid in there for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, it will start to leak, which is not good oh. for business. Interesting. So you fast forward quite a bit to after World War II, where, again, Japanese whiskey industry is not that big. But then again, get into the 80s, you know, things have settled. The Japanese are trading with everyone. I guess all that sort of barley and everything else is turning up there. But also, what I saw firsthand, having been to Scotland, and then you go into the two Japanese distillery, if you put a blindfold on me and just took me from Scotland and next to this distillery in Japan, remove the Japanese science and the Japanese, I would think I'm just in a Scottish distillery. You know, the whole process to the point, every step is exactly the same as how whiskey is made in Scotland, uh, which is quite good. You know, Japanese, mm, they mm. respect the fact, you know, these guys are doing things a certain they're way. Very, yeah. They're a very respectful culture. Yeah. So, yep. and we keep fast forwarding to 90s where demand for whiskey in Japan is still quite low. They're drinking a lot of the American stuff's coming in, Scottish stuff's coming in, their own stuff is coming in. 
But then you get into 2000, and some of the whiskey Japanese themselves have been aging for a long time. Right. It's starting to drink very, very well. Mm. And that's been sort of, you know, coming to the 2005, 7, 8. These guys are just cleaning up every trophy that's available in the world. But the problem is there's no much production at the bottom of it. Mm. You know, if you make a good quality whiskey, even if you want to do a young whiskey, it will age for three to five years. You could throw a billion dollars at a big plant and go, I want 25 million liters of this whiskey. Well, thank you. We'll do that. We're Japanese. We'll do it very quickly. But it will still have to go away and age for at least that three to five years. And that's what's driving. That's, yeah. That's, does that's that make crazy. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does make sense. I think, I think a lot of people don't realize that, right? No. With the and aging of whiskey. Yeah. And that's yeah. driving the price up significantly because there's just not so much of it around yeah. or not available, especially in New Zealand because no one cares about us, man. There's not enough of us here. <laughs> We're so, well, we're at the bottom of the world, we're man. We're so far it's, away. It's, it's a, both a pro and a con. Double-edged yeah. sword, right? It's yeah. great in terms of, you know, we don't have to deal with the world's problems. Exactly. You know, uh, but the at the end of the day, yeah, we're so far away from everything that people are like, uh. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people that don't know even know where New Zealand is. They think it's part of Europe. I'm like... So when I, <laughs> when I first told my schoolmates that we moved to New Zealand, and my best mate at time was confident that New Zealand is in continental Europe. And he actually, <laughs> he ran to one of the classrooms and grabbed a globe and he was looking for New Zealand. I was like, I can just help you. It's here. It's at the bottom. It's like, oh, that's so far away. But um, this one in particular, yep. um, I brought to sort of lay into, you know, how, why I'm in Scotland exclusively, the exclusivity of whiskies. So this is a 17-year-old blend. So what's it, what's it called? Hibiki. 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 17-year-old blend. Yeah. Which I remember paying about a couple hundred dollars for right. a bottle, which is all right. You know, it's yep. a 17-year-old blend. You know, it's nice. Um, comes in a really beautiful decanter. Oh, nice. I like the... Uh, I love Japanese writing, eh? Yeah. Uh, let's check this out. <sighs> but I would like you to guess how much I paid for this bottle. And I just told you that it retails around $200 normally. That's what the normal retail is. But uh, I'll segue you into... <laughs> you know, that, I don't know, $60? <laughs> I have no idea. Hibiki. Okay. Hibiki. Just remember, I told you, it retails for around $200. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I laid you into that um, how exclusive it is, how hard it is to find, uh, how very... So did you pay more than that or less than that? Way more. Really? Way more. Are we talking, what, $800? Around there. Really? Yeah. Bang. Okay. And um, I actually didn't get this from normal... Um, Retail route, um, someone who had become a friend on LinkedIn messaged me um, that he would like to offload some of his investment bottles. Okay. And if I be keen to buy this particular bottle, but mm -hmm. also this one here. Okay. So that's another Japanese yeah. whiskey. But, but this is from a distillery that has closed down now. Ah. Oh, yeah. So it would be worth even more? Than that? Well, in Scottish whiskey industry as well, you know, once a distillery disappears. So how much? How much would that retail for? Well, the retail would be what hundred bucks. Yeah, hundred twenty. But how much did you pay for it? <laughs> Too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we don't need to know exact figures. No, well, maybe you can tell me off here. I'll tell you off here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And my wife um, will probably watch this. As well. <laughs> I paid twenty nine dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't know how much you paid for it. Nah, but there's a blur, <laughs> there's a blurred line. Um, just for the record, I'm yep. not I'm not going to be opening these bottles. 
I'll probably end up using them in a corporate pasting. Yeah, which is fair enough. Yeah, if someone says, hey, look, I want a money can't buy experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whiskeys, they're very hard to find, all this and that. So do you do you export a lot of your stuff overseas? So, like, do, like, do you have buyers overseas, like, say, in Australia? Or we're or... getting a lot of inquiry. Right mm-hmm. now, I just can't be bothered setting it up. The reason being is, it's not going to make me money. Right? Why not? Because people are asking for a $100, $200 bottle. I make, oh, to export it. Yeah, I yeah. make 20 bucks a bottle. Unless someone says to me, I want 20 of them. You know, it's just a very- They have to be large quantities. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, the other issue I have is, like I said to you, I still have the liquor stores, which takes 40, 50, 60 hours of my time, plus the 8 p.m. stuff, the networking and all that. I'm just kind of picking my battles. Um, so how does how does your day-to-day go? Day-to-day? Yeah. So give me, give me an- uh, an average day for you. So you get up in the morning, what, you go to the liquor store in Huntley? Yep. How long are you there for? The all day. All day? I'm there all day. Or Dep- when you say all day, what are we talking, eight hours? We're talking all day. Depending on the day of the week, I'm there all day. So like I was there on Saturday. I was there at 9.30. Oh, 9.30, and then what time did you knock off? Nine. At night? Yeah. Wow. That's me every day. Just work, work. And this is why Indians are successful, people. <laughs> I don't know. Because they do this. <laughs> no Kiwis will do this. <laughs> that is why you yeah. do well and they do not. But I'll, I'll give another example. I exa- have to respect you for that, man. Do, I don't so know. is that day in, day out? Do you have your weekends off? There's no such thing as a weekend off. I'll okay. take a day off if I need to. At the moment, in the last 18 months, all of my days off have gone into 8 p.m. related networking. Or e- okay, e- so so the only time you take time off is if you're doing networking, say, in Auckland or you're going to yeah. something or coming to the Kiwi Talks podcast. So I'll give you a couple of <laughs> small examples, and it will make you laugh, and maybe people will watch it and go, that guy is an asshole. Um, last night, uh, my son's birthday is coming up Yeah. on 9th of December. Oh, no, I think I know where this is going. Okay. <laughs> and then my wife goes... Um, you realize your son's birthday is coming up. It's on a Monday night. And I would like you to either take the day off or half a day off. So you're home. And I said to her, I know already because I had in the diary. <laughs> and I shifted my, I had a private whiskey tasting that night. Yeah. And I've shifted it to Tuesday the 10th. Okay. So I've kept the day clear. Right. But also the other thing that's happening quite bad is quite often my wife will find out what I'm going to be doing is when one of my whiskey tastings goes live on the 8 p.m. Facebook page. Right. Where, you know, the best one was when Women I Women are detectives, man, honestly. Oh, they are. <laughs> but um, I don't know if you saw, I did a couple of ladies-only whiskey tastings. Um, and I put them live. It's business, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get these group of ladies to come in, and I was going to fundraise money for breast cancer. Yeah. And event live. Um, you know, I, I was at home just working on my laptop, you know, did the event. And then... Um, my wife's just like, she's just staring at me. And I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> she's like, do you want to explain this? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies only. And I was like, look, average age would be probably 40 to 50 yeah. or higher. So you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> it's not like a alcohol pop, you know, yeah, yeah. cruiser or, um, or um, a long white uh, tasting. Yeah. yeah. So, but mate, you know, the working long hours for Indians, it's just, there's no method to that madness. It comes to a significant detriment to our health and well-being. Trust me when I say that. I'll say that with in some- terms, In terms of what? Like, um, because it creates more of a drive? So- No, no, no. Um, I mean in a negative way. It comes at a detriment to our health. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. health and well-being. It does, yes, you yes. know? So, and, so in, in your instance? In my instance, you know, um, I've gone through some vibes where I did slow down a little bit. 
But that's when I started to feel a bit depressed because I had been on a board of a big liquor company, still had the shops, and I don't know if you know, I started with some friends, Kirikaroa Marathon, yep. which was a two-year project, left that, and there was a big gap where I was not doing much, probably giving more time to the family, but as a person who's always driven, who always needs stimulation, I was starting to feel a bit depressed. Well, this is a question I want to ask you because as, as someone who's in a relationship with an Indian, I find that you guys, and if I'm wrong, correct me, but in some ways work drives your purpose. Hmm. Like if you're not working, if you're not working towards something, yeah, you kind of lose your sense of purpose. Like why? Because I've noticed this with my partner as well. When, when she's not working or she spends too much time like on a holiday or something, she begins to question like oh, her, her worth, her whole purpose. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's just a result of being conditioned in the environment of India where it's so, you know, work driven. I think people you're coming across are people like me or your partner yeah. who are coming from very hardcore, solid half a billion middle class Indian economy. Yeah, well, I know she's from Baroda, which is known as the business yeah or gujarat yeah. is the business state right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so there's you just work you it's know? just your thing it's you just, you just you work you either are a businessman or you're in a government job or if you're in the corporate sector or if you're in the private sector you just keep working it's mm. and then it's 30 35 years later and you've accumulated what you are depending on how well known you are your coins would be equivalent of that but you just keep working that's where Sometimes I make some very harsh right-wing commentary, but that comes from a, a perspective of very hard work, you know? But but <laughs> Just, I mean... Hey, hey, you're not the only one, man. I, yeah. I, I have a lot of Indian friends, man, and they say the same thing. But And then we... So do you get frustrated with people that are on the benefit and people that just complain about their situation and not willing nah, to work I don't. Right? I wouldn't never complain about people on the benefit. I complain about people who systematically systematically are taking advantage of it. R and you know yep. the town I work in? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> there you go. And I see it and it boils my blood. And I think it boils my blood because I'm a father now and I have my two kids. And I know the lengths me and my wife go to to make life comfortable for these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spoil them. And then on the other spectrum, I see how kids are used as a tool of benefit fraud in this country, yes. which is totally agree. It's very sad. Totally agree. Um, I don't know if you saw because I know I know people that work for um, work and income, mm. and they've told me the way. I mean, these people are smart, man. They know how to exploit the system. And you're from a country where there is no benefit system, yeah. right? If you don't work, you die, sort of thing. So, you know, uh, there is no, there's there's no benefit there's no question. system. Yeah, there's no question. It's like you work. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, I. But you know, um. You made a point earlier, you don't know till you know something different, but there's yeah, also- well, That's why I'd love to take a lot of these people and put them in India yeah. for like just a week. Yeah. I think a week would be enough. I well, mean, I did a lot of, I did a massive 180 on a lot of my views hmm. when, after going to India. Hmm. Like you can watch documentaries and stuff, but it's different when you're actually there yeah. and you're seeing it, like seeing the child poverty, seeing the pollution, seeing how hard people work. You know, and people going without things, and yet they're happy, right? They're not complaining. They're doing what they need to do. Yeah. And then we come back, and then I come back here, and people are complaining about, you know, the homeless and poverty here. And I'm like, oh, you never hear an Indian or a Chinese person talking about poverty in New Zealand because yeah. 
they know what real poverty is. They've yeah. seen it. You know, they grew up in it. Yeah. So I'm not sure which council it is in South Island that has declared a climate emergency. And, you know, you take, oh, yeah. you take that newspaper article and you show it to anyone on the street in India and China. And they're like, <laughs> climate <laughs> emergency. I would, yeah. I would, but that's their mindset. They are in a very, very dirty place. And they're like, should I go live in Nelson in a heartbeat? You know, I don't care if there's fires every now and then and there's lots of rain. And then, you know, there's uh, climate. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be a climate change denier. It's happening. But um, for people who Well, I think, I think some people are going a bit over the top with it. It's getting a bit ridiculous. They're turning you know? it into, Reese. they're turning it into a business. Yes. Right? You yes. look at... Um, and, and, and you've got, like, activists and people that are going... You know, I, I saw some article where people are getting into depression over it. Yeah, like you know, children who are... It's like, oh, come yeah. on, man. Like, seriously? Yeah. It, 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 Here's an example for you. Um, there was a big march on Parliament, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, the way I looked at it, right? The way I looked at it, you've got 10,000 people eating and drinking and shitting their way to the Parliament. That's climate change. These 10,000 people have gone and changed. They pulled 10,000 people from all over New Zealand and they put into a one square kilometer radius. Yeah. That's climate change. Well, here's the thing also, right, is what is the biggest contributor to climate change if we're talking about pollution? It's people. Yeah. It's, it's actually people. It's like if, if, if you want to solve the problem, then just stop having kids. Yeah. Right? Like when someone's talking about, oh, climate change, you know, we need to solve it, and they have like five kids, it's like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Seriously. True, true. <laughs> which, which people, they look at other things like, yes, like fossil fuels and, and all of that, but- uh, you have to look at that as well. Yeah, I, I think, and then, and then I don't like it when people are standing in front of meat sections. Yeah, signs saying "Don't eat meat." I'm like, oh, dude, yeah. you're not you're not helping the problem. You're just going to piss people off. Yeah, like I saw that, and I'm, and it, you know what I thought? I'm like, yo, man, I wish I'd, I'd grab like some meat and just eat it in front of them. <laughs> Did you see that in New Zealand? Yeah, people are protesting in within the supermarket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, oh, I, I just... should see if I can find the video. They went into a countdown. There was one in Hamilton actually, and there's somewhere in Auckland. And there's a bunch of like people, and then some lady was telling because meat, meat she is. was trying to get some meat, and this person was just standing there with a sign. She was like, "Piss off, man!" Yeah. Just like you know, what what are you hoping to achieve? You're not but, achieving anything. You think people are going to see those signs and be like, "Oh yeah, they're right." You're right. Today is the day I'll give up meat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and particularly in New yeah. Zealand because meat is like embedded in the cultural DNA here. I often say I'm like trying to get Kiwis to give up meat would be like trying to convince Americans to give up guns. Pretty much, there will be it's a, so be, embedded in, right. in the DNA here, right? Yeah. So I'm like, I I think you're winning. Oh, you're losing an unwinnable war. Well, I'll give an example. My father-in-law was here uh, on a six-month visit. Yep. To spend some time with us, quite mm -hmm. important for the kids. Yep. He's freaked out how much fish, beef, lamb, and chicken we're eating every week. Every week. You know, it's not that he... Well, I don't think... We, yeah, I think we consume too much meat here. Yeah. 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 Where he said... Um, and he reminded me, and we had a conversation, he reminded me of the fact, growing up in India, having chicken come into the house was a big occasion. You did it once a month, you know, um, or as we got a little bit richer, I guess, growing up in India, maybe once a fortnight, or you would go out and eat chicken somewhere, but you didn't bring it home to cook and eat. And fish was a rarity, because New Delhi is very far from the... Clean source of waters, you know. So, so. I find it interesting because India is one of the biggest beef exporters in the world. Yeah, they are. Well, you I mean you got naturally happening. India's world's biggest dairy producer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they just end up consuming the whole lot because <laughs> just like and some more. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, he's freaked out how much meat we're eating. Um, he's kind of, oh, I guess he's sixty nine now, so he's 
moving down the path of clean eating, being careful, obviously looking does after- he, Does he understand though why Kiwis are like that? Well, I think he understands why it's relatively cheap compared to your income levels. Now, people will get wild and they'll be like sending you emails, meat is not cheap in New Zealand, what is that guy talking about? Yeah. But compared to your income levels, um, we're in India, I thought it was significantly more expensive. Maybe because we were lower down the peck in the middle class, which is quite white. Yeah. Um, here, you know, you go to some market and you get chicken or beef or something for 10 bucks, 15 bucks for the family, you know. Yeah, so, I find lamb is more expensive than beef. Yeah. yeah. What, I'm, what I'm missing in New Zealand, though, is goat, like good quality goat. Yeah, you don't get much goat here, eh? Nah, not good ones anyway. Nah, nah. You got to eat it fresh as well, like same day. You yeah. know, it's quite like I've, I've, because my partner's vegetarian. Okay. So inadvertently, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm vegetarian at home. Oh. Outside of, outside of home, I'm not vegetarian. Right. <laughs> but, but like she's cooked some really, really nice vegetarian meals. Yeah. And oh. I think there's a stigma. It's like vegetarian. Oh, can't eat anything. And I was, I was like that because I was used to consuming meat because that's what I grew up with. Right. So now I've, I've cut back on meat. I don't, I don't eat as much as I used to. Right. And I feel a lot better for it. Mm. I think everything in moderation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't consume too much of anything. Yeah. But I think, you know, like. So do you, do because are you a vegetarian? No. I eat everything. <laughs> <laughs> I've eaten some weird meats. Oh, not weird. I'm going to eat kangaroo. Um, kangaroo? I had, okay. cro I had crocodile meat. Yeah. Uh, we went to Cairns uh, for a conference. Nice. And we got taken to a crocodile farm. Yeah. Which had, and very much like chicken. It's really white. Um, if, you, if I didn't tell you it's crocodile meat, you'll just think it's chicken and just think nothing of it. Yeah. But also, um, just going back to the climate change thing, man, you know, there's all these people being an Indian and just working nonstop. You know, I respect them because they are raising an issue. I just sometimes wonder, how do you get the time? You know, well, how do you balance? Because obviously, if you're working all the time, then you're neglecting time with your, your wife and your kids. Yeah. So how do you, how do you personally balance that? Is there any time? Is there any time where you have to kind of check yourself, or your wife has to check you and be like, "Hey, I've neglected time with my family." Uh, so that happens twice a week. <laughs> but um, the way I balance it out, um, the way I've balanced it out, right? Um, I made my wife quit her job in childcare at the start of this year, oh, and so she's she... working in the business now. Okay. So she's with me at the shop quite a bit. That was my way of nice, but okay. also making life easy <clears throat> for her. Um, she was working full time. Um, dropping kids and then uh, managing her work at kindy and then picking the kids up and going to work, which was because I'm not home, that's not going to be good. So now she works five hours in our business. So she will just work the school hours. That frees up her time quite a bit. Nice. But as an Indian proud man, I feel like I've got to get a, give a little bit more time to my family business because, you know. Yeah, which is fair enough. That's how we look at that's, things. That's just, yeah, that's just and oi, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there is nothing wrong with that. Where it'd be a very. I think. I think it's just because I think Kiwis, you know, we're all about family time and yeah, yeah. and all that. You know, doing yeah. the kayaking, going to the beach. There was a new uh, Indian restaurant that opened up in uh, Victoria Street in Hamilton called Naughty Nan. No, I mean. Yeah, no. yeah, it was actually really nice. And anyway, I met the owner. And uh, he owns, you know, he owns Naughty Nan. He's, he owns a couple of places in Auckland, India Lounge, I think it is, and Black Salt. And we had a good chat to him. And he was saying that, you know, it's very, you see Indians doing the kayaking thing, going to the beach and stuff, because we're all just work, work, work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, also, if we go there, we'll end up drowning, because none of us, well, yeah, we don't know how to swim. Well, that, well I mean, 
there's a huge portion of your population that are inland. Well, and I'd imagine you can't swim in a lot of those rivers and lakes there. I remember, um, you know, like speaking of quality time, I remember when I was 15 and my brother would have been 11, um, one of the amusement parks in India added a water park. Oh, nice. And our, our, our um, move to New Zealand was already talked about yep. when you were kind of moving. So my dad started spending quite a lot more time with us. Okay. And at the time you didn't feel it. Yeah, but he took up this um, yearly membership for this water park, and we were ending up in there like every fortnight. That's cool. Or every weekend for a new Delhi kid to be around so much fresh water. It's like I remember from Mumbai, one of my cousins came to New Delhi, yeah, and we took him to the water park for you know one weekend. We were there for six eight hours just playing in the water, slides or not. And he went back home and told his mum, "I'm not going to shower for a month. I've <laughs> never been." And you've been to Mumbai. You've seen how oh, scarce yeah. fresh water is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and to spend six, eight hours in a water park and just playing with beautiful, sparkling. Mm, yeah, we take it for granted here. We take it for granted, you know, and we complain. Yeah. And a beach is never that far away. I mean, even Hamilton, it's yeah. an inland city. Bro. But Raglan is still only 40 yeah. minutes away. I mean, I lived in West Auckland and Piha and Murawai are like the same distance. So it doesn't really bother me. But people are like, how can you live in Hamilton? Hmm. It's an inland city. I'm like... Dude, it's not actually that far from a beach, man. Yeah. Well, you can go to Mount or... Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. you can go to National Park, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the there's, there's a different place. I mean, one of the best things that I like about Hamilton is actually how close it is to a number of different places. It's hmm. like a central hub. Yeah. But people are like, no, you can't say that because that means that you're implying that the best thing about Hamilton is leaving Hamilton. <laughs> and I'm like, but Monday to Friday, you're not going to be going anywhere anyway. Yeah. What difference does it make? Yeah. You know, Monday to Friday, you're going to be working. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then weekends, and it's not that far. It's just an hour and a half. Yeah. But I mean, I don't envy any number of my friends who live in Auckland. Um, I have some close friends who have moved back to Hamilton. Yeah. Having pursued the corporate, you know, because- I tell my friends all the time, I'm like, get the hell out of Auckland, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless, unless the industry that you're in is only there, Yeah. you know, then get the hell out of there. Particularly if you don't own a house. I'm like, yeah. you're screwed. Well, one of my friends... Unless, unless you're on a ridiculously good wage. Yeah. One of my friends went from being in Auckland on a very high wage, still not able to save any money, being in Hamilton. I think he's got three properties now in four years. Yeah. Just keeps buying more. It's just like, what do I do? They're only 400K, 500K, and so on. So I mean, uh, when when this rail kicks off, yeah. you know, I feel like the Hamilton and Auckland labor markets will end up merging hmm. in some senses i mean hamilton property will go up yeah. it's inevitable yeah. right so i mean if you can't afford to buy a property in auckland then i would imagine hamilton tauranga is probably the best place to do it because that's going to be where the growth is yeah 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 well tauranga is tauranga is dude tauranga is auckland 2.0 man right in terms of you know you've got the same problems because of geographic it's geographically challenged because two harbors once again and the city is just designed really badly, even though I'm pretty good in terms of knowing where I am. You know, I can get my bearings correct. Once I go somewhere, I'm like, oh, okay, I have a rough idea. But with Tauranga, I always get lost, man. I'm like, what? Because all the different flyovers and the different ways of it, it, and how it's connected, it's just, oh, I always lose track of where I am and I always have to rely on my GPS. And traffic is bad. Yeah. Really bad. So here's a question for you. What's your... Um Number one priority for 2020. Does uh, it doesn't have to be work. No, or, it's, probably, be, it's probably this podcast, to be honest. Right. To take it to the next level, hmm. get some more uh, leverage and probably some possible bigger guests, I guess. 
Uh, one of the greatest things I like about doing this is I learn a lot. Good. And it's taught me to be objective, particularly with political people, right? Because when the Hamilton elections were on, I covered a lot of the local politics. Mm. So I spoke to numerous politicians, oh, yeah. right? Candidates. And when you're speaking to them, because I think it's very easy for us to, you know, we judge a politician based on the politics. But you've got to remember that these, they're people at the end of the day. And they have their views. And it's all about understanding why they view things the way they do. And it teaches you to be a bit more objective. And you're getting to know the person, the character. So, I mean, it's it's central government elections next year. So I'm hoping maybe I can get, you know, Jacinda or Simon or whatever. <clears throat> but, yeah, it's trying to grow this thing. And mm. I don't think there's anyone in Hamilton doing it like I'm doing it. Actually, I don't think there's anyone in New Zealand doing it like I'm doing it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's probably about growing, growing this thing, actually. Yeah. But that's kind of like the main goal. But, you know, doing it. The way you're doing it, you're going back how it was done 150 years ago. If you look at it, you know. In terms of what? Just communication? Communication, but a reporter at large. You know what I mean? It's the, the, the media has gone from being very independent. You know, guy starting a newspaper in the yeah. 1850s. He wrote what he wanted to write, blah, blah, blah. Well, he, it's all about overheads and you've got to make a narrative that's going to make money in terms of clickbait you got fake news ads. which is what and yep and stuff can be edited i mean i the only time i really edit something out of a podcast is if the guest is specifically like hey can you edit that out yeah, otherwise yeah. i don't do that sure um so i try to keep it as free flow as possible and i think this is why politicians it, it's a good platform for politicians because they don't get the time to necessarily say what they need to say right yeah. and politics is really complex hmm. i mean i there's so much about it I don't even know. And yet when you see these politicians on TV or or whatever, they, they're they given like two or three minutes. Mm. It's like, okay, explain your entire point. Imagine yeah. you trying to sell your entire, you know, business in like two minutes. Yeah. It's very complex, right? Yeah. So you need to give people the time to do it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think you, you, you're on the right path. Um, it's just getting the right people in consistently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But also... But it's all about networking as well, right? It and is. usually when I get someone on, they might be like, hey, you should try to get this person on. Or yeah. they might know someone who knows someone True. who knows someone. True. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, my whiskey pacings is exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. So right? you can relate. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can email the hell out of the CEO and saying, you know, hey, can I sit down with you? Can you please be my mentor or whatever? He comes with one of my tastings. You put a couple of whiskeys into him. And he's just giving you wisdom like there's not yeah, tomorrow, yeah, yeah. which will be quite same for you if you're making, yeah, totally. meeting people from all these different spectrums. And that's why I like to do it face-to-face -face as well, as mm. opposed to Skype interviews or nah. phone interviews. Yeah. It's different when you're sitting you know, across the table from someone. Yeah, You really learn about them. And I feel like that art is being lost because we're so addicted to phones and we're online Shh. and social media and we're losing the art to just have a conversation. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've met some pretty weird people. Like really social media. Oh, oh, well, no, 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 not on here necessarily. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although some people have come on here and I'm like, dude, you shouldn't have come on here because you have nothing to say. Yeah. See, you can talk, right? So it's, it's so it's all good. But there's some people, I've, they come on here and they barely talk and I have to carry the entire conversation. Right. And I'm like, dude, why are you even here yeah. if you don't want to talk? So, you know, and then there's some people, yeah, that just, they, they just don't know how to have a conversation. They're so connected to online that, Having yeah. a conversation in person, they're all weird and stiff sure. and rigid. So speaking of local politics, you know of Mark Bunting? Yeah, I know Mark Bunting. I haven't spoken to him, but I yeah. do know who he so is. So yeah. 
he does this uh, one-on-one course called Dotting Day. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. So I did that, I think, more than 12 months ago. Okay. There, it was in a group environment. And I took my wife to it because I wanted to learn a little bit about her. Yeah. You go in there, you self-evaluate based on these questions. Yeah. And then you get put into these four camps, uh, yeah. which are identified by different colors. And I came up, and it, it was funny, at age 34, I think I finally understood my purpose in life. Which is what? Is to broadcast the shit out of everything. <laughs> well, well, hey, you're very good at that. So, and, and, and to give you a very small layman version of it, I came up as a purple dot, a solid purple dot. A purple dot will start 10 projects, right? None of them are going to get finished. Yep. And as the number 10 is failing, and the eight are in the pipeline. Oh, you know, right. Right. Just, so you always have a plan or some. Do you find that your mind works over time? Like you're always thinking does. of ideas? Yeah. And I, I'm the same. And yeah. as a result, sometimes I find it difficult to sleep because it's just wow. so this morning, turning over time. I was up till 1.30 in the morning, even though I had to be up at 5.30 for the other speech <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or the talk. But um, I finally understood that... Um, my purpose in life is to gather attention, right? That's the part I'm good at. Oh, that's good. That's all right. But there's a fulfillment part. And um, for my wife, she came up as a yellow dot. Yellow dots are process-driven. You know, the cup stays there and actually goes here. But that's that's good, though, because it, it's yeah. like a balancing. You balance out each other. Yeah. And that's what um, – it was a brilliant day for me. And I quoted, and I'm quoting it right now. For me, there was a brilliant aha moment. It's like, that's how you get ahead. Mm. We all, no one individual person can achieve everything. You know, yep. look at some of the really big guys, you know, um, they surround themselves with teams of people who well, are. Well, if you, if you hang around with successful people, yeah. you can't help but be motivated yeah. by it, right? But also um, finding the people with the right mindset. Mindset. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or the, 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 the skill set, you know, because if you put too many yellow dots together, Nothing will happen. All they'll keep doing is just keep dressing this up <laughs> and making sure the dots. So you need to have a good balance. Yeah, you yeah. need different you need, personality types. Different personality types. Different and, characters. Um, that was quite good for me. And I think politics, in a way, works like that. You know, you need a... Yeah, well, this is the thing. We tend to focus in on one individual. Mm. But when you look at it, it's actually a team effort. Like Jacinda is the leader of labor, right? Yeah. But she works in conjunction with a team. Of course. Same with Simon Bridges, right? Mm. So there's there's a team aspect to it. Yeah. We just have this thing where we focus on the one individual. But yeah. you look behind any successful person, mm. there is usually a great team yeah. behind that person. Yeah. 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 I mean, with um, whiskey as well, the way I look at it is you can put that $500 bottle, whiskey, the liquid, yeah. into a $30 bottle. It remains the same. It remains a $30 bottle. Till you open it, you try it, and you have a brilliant experience, you'll still not pay. Yeah. But that $500 bottle is presented in a way. Yeah. A story is told. Yeah. Right? And you sort of segue into it and go, whoa, I'm going to have an amazing experience. Politics is a bit like that as well. Yeah. You know, everyone talks about Simon Bridges as his star is not that big. You know, he's not a... Um, it doesn't come across as a celebrity. Which is why I want to get him on here, because I, I mean, think he might be misinterpreted. Yeah. He but, says some stuff, and I'm like... Yeah. So, so maybe during the long form, he might be better because he has to condense a whole bunch of information into two-minute sound bites. Because I think he's not like John Key where John Key was like, you know. No. Well, some people are better at those things than others, right? Yeah. So but, he might be better at long form. Yeah. He could be terrible at that as well. I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> but like at least if I get him on here, then, you know, people can make I really hope you get him, eh? Because I think – and I hope you get Jacinda and other big uh, it's politicians. It's plausible. Yeah. I mean, I think someone like Winston Peters would be – a a lot harder to get down here because he's not down these ways. Right. Whereas Jacinda's from the Waikato. She's down here frequently. Yeah. Simon Bridges lives in Tauranga. Right. So it is at least feasible. 
Um, so on one of their visits. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is it is plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chloe Swarbrick is another one I'd like to have on here. So it just it it, it really just depends, you know. I met um, Grant Robertson at a charity thing last week. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. What's he like? Very funny. Yeah. Was, yeah. And I've you wouldn't think that you wouldn't think that. And I've always naturally, and I'm I'm not a Labour supporter. Like my friends are gonna like burn your. YouTube. Well, it's very hey. To be perfectly honest, it's very rare you meet an Indian yeah. that is a Labour supporter. Like um, I'd say, it's very very rare because but, you guys are business oriented yeah. people, which but makes sense. Grant Robertson, I've always liked because yep. he's pro business and he talks mm. always about growing the economy. Which yep. being a hard worker. I'm always about growth. Um, and it's just a mindset, man. You know, um, we always want to grow business, want new business and all that kind of stuff. The true Kiwi mentality says, hey, just, you know, it's okay to chill sometimes. Take, you know, like what Jacinda says, her message is quite clear. You know, in this pursuit of constant growth, we're leaving a lot of people behind, which is very important. And, you know, having... The well, it's, it's all about the balance, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You got to look I after think, I think sometimes... You know, it, it can turn ugly politics yeah. because there's almost like a sense of tribalism with it. True. And people pick their sides. It's like, you know, because I know some people who are national fanatics. Yeah. I know some people who are labor fanatics. Fanatics, yeah. Yeah. I tend to sit in the middle. I'm like, okay, there's policies I like on both sides. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And which, which is good in terms of if I get them on here because I know I'll be a bit more objective. Like there are some media personalities out there yeah. that you can so you can tell that they are totally biased to their side. Yeah. And it's like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. So like for someone like me, I have no desire to meet Jacinda. Um, you know, she works hard and she's doing my job for my country. Yeah. But I spoke to Grant Robertson and I told him what I do. And he goes, Jacinda loves whiskey. She's always talking about whiskey. She loves the whiskey. Being in UK, she was introduced to it. Yeah. And even now, um, she likes off tipple and all of a sudden I'm like, I kinda wanna meet her <laughs> now <laughs> over a whiskey. And again, um I would love well, to it could, it could happen. Who knows? I would love to sit down with Winston Peters because the rhetoric at the ugly side gets taken up, you know, like you say, the sound bite. But there's a lot of good shit Winston Peters says and he wants to achieve. Oh yeah, but, and also the thing is, right, is once because the thing is with politics is they control certain aspects of all of our lives, mm. right? And the thing is, unfortunately, if you implement some type of policy that affects people in a negative way, they hold a grudge. Right. And it doesn't matter if you do anything good. They're like, nah, this, this person's an asshole. Yeah. Don't like them. Yeah. You but know? also, I, uh, like, I know some people who like, hate Jacinda, like, full on hate her. Yeah. But just for because you, of um, one policy that she implemented. You're obviously in a relationship with a Indian lady. Right. Um, and, you know, like, in the last month, we've had a lot of... Uh, comments from Shane Jones and all these guys, which is taken quite negatively by Indian community. But as an Indian guy who's been here for 18 years, I'm kind of like, actually, what he's saying. Well, there is, there is, yeah. there's a legitimate aspect to it, hmm. right? But I think we have this woke culture where people just, ah, they just hmm. react and stuff. Yeah. It's like, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Before you get angry, particularly if you have an emotional attachment to an ideology. So, with the sense with Indians, right? Because um, arranged marriages is quite a common thing within the culture. Hmm. Um, so they feel, they might feel like their culture is being attacked, which hmm. isn't necessarily correct. And when, when you feel like you're being attacked, you know, it's the same with religion, right? Hmm. When somebody might, you know, question a, re a religious view or religion in general, they feel like they're personally being attacked, True. which is not necessarily the case. Hmm. So, because there's an emotional attachment to that ideology, 
And mm. the thing is, once once you're in a defensive state of mind, you can't think logically yeah, at all. Yeah, I mean, that's no. why um, I don't remember who whose content I consumed that gave me the mindset of, you know, the 72-hour kill switch, where if something's deeply affecting you and you think you're about to go do something stupid, put a 72-hour deadline on it, because by the end of yeah. it, you're going to look at it completely differently. And that's yep. not forcing yourself to change your mind, but just... Take- it's just the way humans are wired, yeah. right? When you... When you're emotionally upset, hmm. you don't look at things objectively. No, no. You know, and there's, there's, I, I could there's always that. this fight fight between the logical side and the emotional side. Yeah. It's like how people, you know, this, you know, a woman who's in a relationship with a man and the man keeps beating her up, hmm. but she stays with him because she has an emotional attachment to the man hmm. and she's unable to see past it and maybe think of it, things logically. Hmm. Yeah. And people will be like, why? Why is, person, yeah, why is she staying with him? Why doesn't she leave him? But I'm be like, that's why. Yeah. And hey, dude, I'm preaching to myself here, man. There's been times where, you know, I get into an argument and I'm like, I have to be like, hey, hmm. I need to go away and calm down. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not, I'm like so, you know, upset and emotionally just, you know, charged up that I know I'm not thinking logically. Yeah, yeah. If you can, if you can pinpoint when you're like that, that's good. Hmm. Yeah. But it's very, very difficult to do. It's hard, you know. But one thing I've learned, um, I'm, I'm 35 and I've been in business 15 years, is there comes a point where you know this is not sitting with you principally well. Mm. You walk away from the situation. And I've twice in my young life so far walked away from key governance positions because I just fundamentally couldn't sit well with it. And I knew I would not be able to adjust to mm. that level of thinking, because but that's good. Yeah, and that you just, can that, that you can see that yeah. in yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I mean, if yeah. you look at um, Kirikira or Marathon, I thought that was going to be more work of legacy mm. for years to come, but it started to take an ugly head, unfortunately, in the second third year. Yeah, and I just completely walked away from it. That emotionally had a big toll on me, but I realized, look, something's been created by a group, and now this group wants to take it in a different direction. Just walk away from it and instead of stressing about it and. Looking at a situation going, I'm not happy with this or how things are run. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to walk away. And luckily for me, 8 p.m. came directly after that. Well, you that's know, good. All of my energy, all of my um, desire to, to gather attention um, is going into 8 p.m. But yeah. having done and going back to Mark's cause, I know my wife supports me. My brother supports me as well. Sometimes I have to force myself as well because I can create attention, but I will not sell, if that makes sense. And I don't... A lot of people say that to me and they laugh at me when I start my whiskey text and saying, today you're going to meet the world's sales, worst salesperson in the history of man. Kind of like, what are you saying, man? We paid 60 bucks, 80 bucks to come hear you. It's just because by the end of the tasting, I actually forget to tell them they need to buy this. <laughs> I just let them walk away. And um, a good friend of mine, Glenn Marvin, and another one, Trevor Johnston, they get mad at me. Like, they threaten physical violence. Like, where's the order form, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, nah, I feel like if I made an uh, impression, they will buy them and they're ready, which works in a certain way. But sometimes you got to lead people into it as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's little things that... Um, marketing in a sense. Marketing, but also saying, look, today I've sold this... I've, I've spent an hour talking to you about this cup, buy this cup. And also, that's all it takes sometimes. Yeah, You yeah. know, instead of people go, oh, that was just an experience. Mm. And um, that's that's true for my whiskey tastings now. Um, where in 2020, I want to shy away from public tastings because people are just not buying. They're just coming out for a dinner and drinking some whiskey. 
um, where I want to focus more or on private tastings or corporate tastings where people are coming in knowing they will be sold to, yeah, but also have the means to buy. Where the public tasting is good fun, but um, you know, balancing that time versus the return, um, there's a very poor return from them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Well, look, I think that's a good way to wrap up sure. uh, the conversation. Yeah, We've had an awesome chat. Yeah, we yeah. have to do this again at some point because I've really, I, really enjoyed this. Well, next time I come, I think I'll come a bit later on the day. On yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we can we can organize it. There's no there's no rush. Yeah, yeah, You're busy, yeah. man. I'll, I'll be keen to see how everything's going in 2020. But um, so what what's the best way of getting in contact with um with you in regards to wine? So where's the best place to contact um, so, you so, or or 8 p.m. and all the products and stuff? So if you want to buy stuff you yep. go to 8pm.co.nz okay um you can communicate with me through the facebook page yep or my linkedin or my instagram yep um all of those are open because i love talking about whiskey um in terms of doing a private function again contact me either directly or through 8pm um or you just want to have a yarn you know i love chatting as you can tell i'll, I'll, a, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll talk forever um but which is good yeah. It makes it easier for me as a host. <laughs> if, if the guest is just keen to talk, it's like, oh, okay, I don't, but, have um, to, I don't have to steer the conversation as much. I've been inspired by your setup. I mean, um, I've seen it in video, but you obviously see just a small window, but I'm just blown away how much effort you put in, especially with soundproofing and all that kind of stuff. But when I do my whiskey reviews, like, just like cameras on, I drink a little and talk a bit and then stop. But, yeah, um, yeah. You've, um, but I'd love to come back and record maybe a whiskey review with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. definitely do it, man. We can yeah. organize it anytime. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, that's the show, guys. Uh, make sure you share, like, and subscribe and go to 8 p.m. if you're needing some whiskey. Probably don't drink it at 8 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's the show. And until next time, stay safe. Stay safe.